I've been really encouraged, really challenged by the series we've just finished walking through the last few weeks. Uh, Mark's been walking us through a series entitled Knowing God, and, and Mark pointed out how we do that through meditating on and cherishing God's Word, how we do that through seeking the Lord in prayer, and He speaks to us in those, in those moments of prayer as we're just prayerful with our lives. And then last week, we talked about we, we know God through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And what an amazing privilege it is that we have the Spirit of God indwelling us, empowering us, speaking to us, directing us, and using us. And this morning, I want to follow that up by looking at a passage in Ephesians that I believe is it has bearings on what the intersection of all three of those elements look like. And if you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians 1. And as always, we'll be using the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, if you don't have a hard copy and you'd like one, there's some on the shelf in the back. Uh, but the words will also be behind me on the screen. And this letter uh, was written by the Apostle Paul. He is writing it while imprisoned, most likely while under house arrest in Rome, waiting for his case to be heard before Caesar. Uh, and unlike several of his other letters, he's not writing it because he's correcting false teaching or error or doctrine. Uh, he, he's not correcting behavior within the church. Uh, instead, he's writing to tell how he is, to give an update on how he's doing, but to also to, just to encourage them to speak truth into the body of Christ in the larger area of Ephesus. And uh, what we get as a result is this amazing document that richly describes uh, what Christ has done for us and, and that Jesus has now reconciled all things to himself and how now all peoples ha have been united as one people together from all over the world to be one body in the church. And so uh, amazing truth in the midst of that. Our passage today highlights a snapshot of all those elements kind of coming together. So let's read Ephesians 1, starting in verse 17, and we'll go all the way to 23. Uh, Paul writes these words, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, uh, or the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Uh, what an amazing short paragraph. There's so much just crammed in the midst of that. The, the depth the richness of truth that we've just read is remarkable. And, and there's so much for us to see from this passage that uh, we're going to have to work hard this morning to get through it all, okay? So, uh, so I'm going to need your help for us to, to make it through all of this. And, and this passage, it starts off with Paul saying and describing what he prays for. 
as he prays for these believers back in Ephesus. Uh, Paul spent about three years in this region, so he, he knows this area well. He, he probably knows some of these people very well, and he prays some very interesting things. And it's only when we get to the end of our time, at the end of this passage, that we can look back and see why it is that he prays these specific things. Starting in verse 17, he, he says that he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Recently, I, I've been reminded just how much the Christian life is not about me. <laughs> um, I want it to be about me sometimes. I, I want my prayers to be all about me and my attitudes to be about me and my life action to be about me and my goals. I want all of that to be about me. But the more I learn about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, the more I realize how much it's just not about me. Uh, I was a week or so ago at a training event with my work and, and we were walking through areas of, of servant leadership. What does it mean to be a servant leader as you lead other people? How do you reflect the nature and the character of Christ? And, and we walked through a passage of Mark's gospel as we as, and the story of you know, James and John, the sons of thunder, coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, ask us what, you know, any, if we ask you anything, please grant it to us. And he's like, what do you want? And then, Let us serve on your left and your right. And, and, uh, and then this whole thing plays out with the other disciples getting upset about that and Jesus using it as a, as a teaching moment. And we just begin as a group at, our, at this training event to meditate on the truths of what does it mean? How do you look at Jesus in that situation? And how do you lead from a place of serving? Because in that passage, he talks about, you know, the, I, can't, I didn't come to, to be served. I came to serve to give my life as a ransom for many. I, the, the greatest among you will be the least, you know? And, and what does it look like as a leader to, to fall in that, that role of servant? So I get home, and just a couple of days later, I'm reading through this book with, with Mark and Paul, and, and there it is. The whole emphasis of the chapter we're going to be discussing that week is that same passage <laughs> and, uh, and some of the same elements of, of humility and how it plays out within the Christian life as we lead others. Counter to what my sinful heart wants, this life is not about promoting me or my agenda or my desires in order to get what I want. Instead, this life is about something infinitely richer, infinitely greater it's about growing an understanding of who I am not in order to see the majesty and grandeur of who God is. Verse 17's prayer there is for God's Spirit within these followers of Jesus and us to do the work that only He can do, to grant wisdom from God, to reveal who God is. And Paul thinks that this is so important that he invokes the entire Godhead, the entire Trinity right there. I pray that the Father of Christ Jesus would direct the Spirit to reveal more of Himself. That's how crucial it is. I, I won't, by the name of the whole Trinity here, let's not miss any person of the Trinity. That's how much I want this for you. And he goes on in verse 18 and 19. It begins to get really specific. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? 
I find 17 to 19, these three verses, incredibly intriguing, uh, especially as you read this letter so many centuries later. We, we can kind of have a different perspective on things, and, and you see how history's played out. You see how the gospel is played out around the world. And if you step back and think about this, the God of the universe who inspired the writing of this letter urges Paul to pray these things for this church. God in His grace gives us the spirit of wisdom as we saw Mark preached on that last week. And then He enlightens the eyes of our hearts through prayer, through the Word. God's desire is for us to have wisdom in our understanding of who He is. Not for us to remain in darkness and, and ignorance and aloof, not understanding who he, he wants us to have an understanding of who He is and who we are in relationship to Him. And studying through this passage, as I was, I was getting ready for this morning, I couldn't help but think back to several weeks ago. Back in November, we, we were walking through 1 Corinthians in our study, and we got to chapter 6, and we talked about wisdom. The issue of wisdom within the church and kind of the crisis they were having there in the Corinthian church. And they weren't seeking for wisdom the way Paul's ask is praying for them to have wisdom. Instead, they're really wanting an appearance of wisdom. They're wanting what they see as prestige that comes with, well, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Jesus. What are you talking about? You know, and so the, this idea of wisdom that plagued them, this, this perception and, and persona, that's not at all what Paul is talking about. The difference here is the motive and the object of what's being revealed. Paul's saying, I want you to see God who he is as much as we humanly can without totally being just undone. I want you to see who God is. And the scripture tells us, that we have a powerful place in the midst of this. So, so Paul prays that the Spirit for do His work. Why? So that we'll see what? Verse 19 tells us, first, so that we'll see who we are. If we have put faith in Jesus as the way to God and we've entered into relationship with God, then the Scripture tells us that we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance from God. That we're living out part of that inheritance now, but in eternity future, we're going to be able to experience this to the full forever. That, that inheritance is this. Through faith in Jesus, in His death as the substitute for my sin, your sin, through the power of the resurrection, now we have been adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. That God has... In, I don't, it's even, it's hard to fully understand this, that God, Almighty God, has brought us this feeble humanity to be part of His grand family. That's phenomenal. We've been adopted. We're part of His family. And Paul prays that they would understand, he uses the words, the immeasurable greatness of His power in us. That's what this phrase is pointing to here, our position. For, and for God to accomplish that feat of taking us from former position of enemy, which he gets to in the next chapter, that we were dead in our sins. It goes on to talk about being enemies to God, from being an enemy of God to now son and daughter. Man, that requires immeasurable power. And it's also, this passage is also talking about how you and I are to interact with the world. Now that we are children of God, how does that influence us? How does that affect us? Now, as followers of Jesus, we don't insulate ourselves separate from the world. 
in this manner of, I'm going to build up the wall. We're going to be, we're going to kind of hoard what we have here. We're going to be safe in our own little environment. Instead, we, we, we are to be living out our life before others, with others, through the Spirit. God uses us as His agents in the world for His glory, for our good. Isn't that amazing that He would do that? Now, it's tempting, and I know it is for me in my flesh and probably all of us in our flesh, just to stop right there in this passage and to camp out right there to talk about, you know, because it's talking about us, our position, who we are. That's Let's just dwell on that. Let's set up camp right there. We can sing a bunch of songs about that, and we can have a whole, just whole season of life celebrating who we are. It'd be tempting to do that, just to put the full stop right there on that thought. But if we did that, I think we would miss out on the greater purpose of Paul writing that because there's this clear progression that happens here and it continues to grow in magnitude with every phrase, every sentence. Um, our, our, that's just like us. We, we in our hearts, even with the best of intentions, we still focus on ourselves and we can get so consumed by the benefits of being in a relationship with God that come our way that we miss out on the main focal point. And, and, and the main point of it all is Jesus. He is the main point of it all. All the benefits that are mentioned there, f- f- that, uh, about our position and who we are and the power there, that paint, they paint a picture of how good Jesus is. It's all leading up to show us how great Christ is. Now, when you think about this, there are some great benefits. We have hope. We have peace. We have reconciliation with God, with our brothers and sisters. We have so much in this life. There's this promise that God walks with us, even in the seasons that seem like we're the lowest, in the valley of the shadow of death. I'll be with you. Uh, Even in the darkest of days, we have the presence of God. He hears us when we pray to Him. But let us not make the mistake of seeing the benefits of following Christ and miss the point of it all. Jesus is the center of the pursuit to know God. Let's read on in our passage. Look at verse 20 with me. It says, He, the Father, exercised this power in Christ by raising Him, Christ, from the dead and seating Him, Jesus, at His, the Father's right hand in the heavens. Verse 21, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he, the Father, subjected everything under Christ's feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church. Paul has written that he's praying for the Spirit to reveal who God is, to reveal his power that's been directed to us, all so that we can see it in the light of who Jesus is. If we understand how great His power is toward us, we begin to grasp just how great He is. We can't overlook His position and His majesty. If we do that, we sell everything short. Every single benefit you've received from Christ Jesus is for the purpose of seeing how great He is. It's another means of His grace that just points to how grand our God is. The New Testament talks about who Jesus is, and it says things like this in Colossians 1. It says that Jesus is before all things. It says that there's not one thing, one being in this whole universe uh, that hasn't been created by Jesus. 
Jesus sustains every single thing that is happening in the universe. Well, that's what it says there in, in, in Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1. That means every single atom, <laughs> um, every electron, every proton, every subatomic particle that's spinning and flying around and revolving, that's making up everything we see, Jesus, the Bible says, is sustaining it. It's holding it together. It's keeping it together. Through His power, He's been keeping everything going simply by willing it to be that way. There's not one single thing in the universe that's not subject to Christ's authority. All of that qualifies Jesus to be the one who is best suited to be the head of the church. He's the one we unify around. He's the one we emulate, the one we reflect, the one we lift higher than any other. And we put all those things together, we get this core description, core description of who Jesus is, that he is matchless in his worth. There's, there's no one who is or ever will be more exalted than Christ. He is totally unique and distinct in who he is. Another way to describe that is the word the Bible uses, holy. Christ is holy. And his holiness, as much as we have a hard time grasping this, it now extends to us. As his people, last week in our Bible reading plan, we've been going through the script, uh, Read Scripture app, and if you're keeping up with it, it the, the plan had us watch a video, and it's right in the middle of Exodus, and it's talking about the holiness of God, and uh, the, the Bible Project guys did this whole video on holiness, and I thought it'd be a very fitting thing for us to watch this morning. So take a watch at, with this video. Thanks for doing that. Um, <clears throat> Christ is matchless in his worth, in his holiness, and we were meant, we were meant to pursue knowing him. But also em- embrace this that now, as a follower of Jesus, you are an agent of his holiness. It's only through seeing this lens of worth and holiness of Jesus that we're able to have the right perspective of what he's done and what he's doing in us, the church. Look back at the end of verse 22 and verse 23 with me. It says, uh, it starts, 22 says, he subjected everything under his feet. And then it says, the father appointed him, Christ, as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Jesus is head over the church. Jesus walked the earth and dwelt among us for you know about three years, but then he extends that dwelling with us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he is what we must pursue with every fiber of our being. We must orient our lives around him. We, we must orient our goals around who he is and what he's about. We must orient our families around him, how we love our spouses, our children, how we parent them, how we honor and serve our older generations. The rhythm of our lives should be affected because of our response to the worth of Christ. We must filter every single dream and goal through Jesus and who he is, not out of obligation to a tyrannical king, like some have said about Christianity. Instead, in response 
to a matchless, to the matchless worth of our glorious Savior. Because of Jesus' holiness and how it now extends to us, because of our faith in Him, we're able to fulfill that last statement in verse 23, which is just absolutely mind-blowing. That we, the church, are the fullness of Jesus who fills all things in every way. That's why Paul prayed for all these things in the beginning that we saw. That's why he prayed the way he did. Having a deeper understanding and relationship with Christ affects how you invest in others. So let me ask you today, church, what is it that you value most in this life? If you're like me, maybe you struggle with how much you you value the things in this life that are gifts from God instead of rightly valuing God himself. Themes like family and children can easily become idols if we're not careful. Good things of God. Things like relationships with brothers and sisters or, or maybe even the idea of heaven having eternal life, eternal pleasure, being in God's presence. Those things are all good things. But do we value Christ the way we should value Him? A good indicator of our health in this is seen in how much control we give to God in our lives. Do we withhold control over our dreams, over, over our goals and our preferences? Do we hold on to secret sin in our life? Do we, do, we, do we hide away something? Is there something in your life that you're refusing to let go of this morning? Confess that to the Lord today. Uh, repent and walk in freedom that Christ has purchased and, and offered. If that's something you've been struggling with long term, share that with a brother or sister. Don't, don't hide in that. Don't, don't stay isolated in that. There is joy and freedom that comes from walking with your brothers and sisters in that. Does our value of Christ reflect in how we relate to one another in this church community? Does this affect us as as we live, as we love and serve one another? It should cause us to be humble and teachable, especially as we relate to those who are further in the faith. Making much of Jesus requires that we live life together. This is not new information. We've said this many, many times. The life of a follower of Jesus must extend beyond what we do on Sunday mornings together. This can't be the, it's not about a checklist where I've ticked that box, I've been there on Sunday morning. We have to be about serving one another and loving one another and letting those relationships spill out onto those around us in our lives, our family, our colleagues. Our worship of Jesus in this way makes all of this the actual lens for how we view life. Instead of seeing life as a checklist, now I see life through this lens. My whole life is through how I view Christ and how I love the body of Christ. The former uh, head of our, our organization, IMB, has, used to say it this way, seeing Jesus as the, matchless sa- as the matchless Savior should make us want to put a blank check on the table before God. Just to say, God, I withhold nothing for, from you. Whatever you want, whatever you ask, my answer is already yes. Uh, Whatever you want for my life, I'm going to say yes because I know you're worthy of a yes. Would we be a church who lives that way today? This morning, I want to encourage you to see afresh just how holy Jesus is, that he is matchless in who he is. May our view of him permeate all of our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for giving us your word, which reveals how 
great and grand you are. Thank you that you allow us to know you, that you allow us to see how holy and big you are. I pray that that this week, starting this week, you would let that view of you uh, permeate our lives, that we would reflect you, that we would love like you love, that we would serve like you've served and called us to serve, and that we would reflect the very nature of Christ in all of our dealings with everyone we encounter, that we would be diligent to pursue you and to pursue knowing you. So have your way in us today. Amen.